We had been nominated for the FT Innovative Lawyers Award and we, we took a table at the award ceremony and Anthony, our managing partner, he couldn't come for some reason and, and we won. And, and, and so I had to go up and, and everybody was doing these acceptance speeches. I hadn't really registered that if somebody was going to have to go up, it was going to be me. And, and I went up and it, was, and it was all dark, but I knew there were like all these tables and these spotlights were shining on me. So welcome to Noah and... Leanne. This is the podcast that discusses communication, presentation, impact, presence, gravitas, authenticity, all things spoken word. And today we've got Leanne Craig, who is a partner at law firm Hausfeld, running the commercial and disputes practice. Last year, Leanne, you were recognized by The Lawyer magazine in their Hot 100, which celebrates excellence and relevance in the legal profession. You're also a mother, a singer, a fluent Spanish speaker, which I really want to get into and what what that develops. Um, So welcome. Thank you, Noah. So to start with, what have you got on your desk that says something about you? Um... It's quite funny, actually, because my desk has evolved throughout the process of lockdown and there are now lots of things on or around my desk that I think go to to who I am. And in in a way, it's a bit incongruous because they sit here with um, my workstation and things to do with my professional life. But I um, I have right next to me... I suppose uh, some people might describe it as an altar, but I, I, I feel uncomfortable describing it like that. I've got things that represent all the four elements sat next to me. So I have, I have some big crystals. I have a really beautiful big fluorite crystal and some Lemurian quartz. I have a candle, some sage. I have a, a jar of water, which represents the sea that one of my daughters made for me. And I've got a terrarium with, with plants. I also have a feather oh. which represents air, but the cats, the cats often take the feather, but the feather is is still there today. And I have, um, I have my spirit animal oracle cards um, next to all of that that I wow. that I draw from every morning before everyone else is awake. Wow, I like the sound of them. Have you drawn one this morning? I have, and it was really interesting, the one that I got this morning. I got the black egg this morning. The black egg? Yes, which is... What's that? Well, well, the the spirit animal cards, each of the animals represents an element, or there is a fifth um, kind of type of card, which is a a spirit card. They represent the spirit. So the black egg is, is, is a spirit card that I drew this morning. And interestingly... The black egg um, is all about speaking from an authentic voice and the truth. No way. Yes. Oh, brilliant. Yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So I thought, oh, that was, I thought that was very apt, but that's why I love these cards because they often have nice little messages to take you through the day. <laughs> oh, say that again. Speaking from an authentic place and... And the truth. And the truth. Yes. Okay. Um, Why is that connected to the black egg? What's the what's the, Oh goodness. The... I have to I would have to get the cards out and tell you. There's a okay. little there's a little book that goes 
with I the see. with the um with the cards i can tell you hang on yeah. here's the golden yeah. egg no i'm just interested by it um, as an image so what, i was when you said spirit animals i was imagining birds hovering in the sky well, but a black egg is, yeah, is most most of them are so you kind of go through lots of different types of animals and insects and fish and creatures of the sea but then you have spirit um creatures which are um like dragons and sea serpents and different types of things um but the black egg contains one of life's essential treasures the truth Brilliant. inside of it resides no confusion excuses small talk noise or lies um this living and breathing vessel harbors only that which rings true anyway there's lots more i'm not going to read it all out to you mm. but it was mm. it, it was quite an apt one to to draw it's this so morning apt. you know what it's so apt leanne because because basically my first question was about authenticity yes for you and you know i've been looking at what you'd sent over and 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 what we've discussed in the past mm. and i kind of thought can we just go straight into authenticity so as the black egg says also no small talk Let's go there. Okay, okay, go for it. <laughs> so I, I suppose my first question is around like what's the what's the ultimate goal for you in terms of we talk about presence and authenticity and spoken word, but how does that translate? I mean, you know, you're working in a in a in in law and all the specifics that go with that and all of the I know. I mean, this is where I'm interested. Your take on it, all of the, all of the expectations. So how, how do you fit authenticity into that? When does it work? Have you got a kind of? Is there a sort of ultimate place where you go? That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. Yes. I mean, I I think I'm I'm someone to whom authenticity is really important. Um, I feel very uncomfortable when I'm not not being authentic um if i'm not being truthful um and to be honest it's something that i've really struggled with over the years mm. particularly doing what i do professionally um being a woman i think has mm. probably been a part of that particularly when i was younger um working in still what was quite then a male dominated environment um mm. with a lot of certain types of of male in it, I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it, it's difficult sometimes when when I've just started off by, by revealing all this stuff that I have on yeah. my desk, and I look at who I am to be to be authentic to be me, um, yeah. and how that sits within my professional yeah. world is is that it sometimes sits un uncomfortably. That's not necessarily the, mm. the me that I can bring to work every every day, albeit I think what I'm learning as I as I get older and I become more comfortable with who I am, I, I am beginning to bring it. And I think that has a great mm. power to it. Um, but then I also think that as a, as a girl, and I really hope this is changing now, it's certainly not the way that I'm bringing up my daughters, but you know, mm. You're often, I think, still taught. You know, you mustn't be too much. You know, you you, yeah. you don't you don't want to to overdo it. Don't don't be too much of anything, really. And because I am mm -hmm. quite a passionate and dynamic person, I've mm -hmm. often felt that I've needed to contain that and and rein it in. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but but really, so, 
yeah. really it's when I connect with that um that passion and that dynamic energy that I communicate the best and most authentically do, so 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 what happens when you do so so here for example we've talked about the black egg and then you're also talking about being a lawyer and it being uncomfortable what tell me about that uncomfortableness how, how does it work because you also said it, it's also more powerful so how does it work at its best um I mean I, I think when I get into the zone and I feel comfortable being me and expressing myself mm. as me um albeit within a professional context um I just feel that the connection is so much stronger um yeah. I feel that when I'm trying to project an image of some something else which I, I don't really do very well because because it's just not it's not who I am it makes me feel very uncomfortable I get terrible imposter syndrome in those situations mm. and and it's very difficult to make that connection because because you're not giving yourself to to the audience to the person mm. you're trying to connect with so I think I mean I've always found it much easier within a, a smaller group environment or one-to-one -one. I, I tend to make connections quite quickly and they're authentic connections yeah. but what I've struggled with historically you know and we've obviously done work together on this in the past is is the going and speaking to a, a bigger audience where I'm kind of mm. like okay how who, who am I and are, are these people going to accept who I am and can I be me mm. um I, I remember quite a long time ago in fact this may have been the first time that that we met when I was quite a new partner and mm. um I am a commercial litigator by background that that's what I have had always done but my firm um at that point in time was in new uncharted territory within a new area of the law in competition litigation and that was very much something that I had to get my head around quite quickly um mm. And I remember having to go and speak to an audience that I knew was going to be made up largely of competition lawyers and mm. just feeling so uncomfortable about it. Um, so worried that I would be found out. <laughs> um, mm. And I remember the way that we worked through that, um, which was just to kind of front up at the start of the session and to say, look, you know, you're all competition lawyers and I'm not. I'm a commercial litigator, but this is why mm. I'm speaking to you, and this is why you should be listening to me because mm, you know because there, there's an intersection now between what we do, and so I think being able to to do that where you kind of draw it back, where you admit to maybe not knowing everything yeah. or what have you. I mean, I remember one other time, oh, it was really embarrassing um, when I was speaking at a conference. And I can't remember now for the life of me what the case was, but there there was quite a relevant, um, but quite a complicated case that had been handed down in you know fairly shortly before the conference. And I had started talking about it. I'd gone off script. So this was a, a moment where I got carried away. I got into the passion of the moment. I went off script and I started talking about a case that was really complicated and I just hadn't prepared. And I, began, I knew I was getting it the wrong way round. So I stopped and I started again and I got it the wrong way round again and I started again and then I just stopped myself and I laughed and I said to the audience, do you know, this just isn't working for me today. I think we should move on. 
Um, and if anyone's interested, then I can send them details afterwards because I just thought like I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm tying myself in knots. This is excruciating. Um, but you know, it didn't really, it didn't really matter. Um, and that was quite, that was quite a good lesson for mm. me. Well, what I'm hearing is honesty. I mean, that that's a lovely example of honesty. And and somehow, even in your voice, there's a, like a lift and an ease when we say, "This is what it is. This is where I'm at." Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a. I can't remember the difference between the two lawyers when you said you started. I'm a. I'm not a litigator. I'm a. Oh, I've got I, it I, 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 it's fine. You're doing what I did the second example. Um, I am. Yeah. Um, I'm a litigator, not a competition lawyer. Um. I kind of want to go back a bit and and thank you for coming straight in on that authenticity and obviously that's basically at the heart of everything we're talking about mm. isn't it it's 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 the fundamental let's go back you're born in edinburgh um and you talk about there was two things i i wanted to ask you about one is being rebellious <laughs> tell me about tell me about being rebellious cuz cuz because again, it's a kind of interesting paradox with, I don't know if it is a paradox with being a lawyer and law, and this is what the law is, and being a rebel. Talk to me about that. Um, I'm not sure how much detail I want to go into, but anyway, I I was quite a shy child. I, I, I was a real chatterbox, um, but it was I was quite shy, and I think quite contained in a way. Um, and then the teenage years hit and I do, I am a very curious person and I don't like being told what to do. I like to try things out for myself. So, um, I, I was quite wild in my teenage years, probably through into my twenties actually. And I suppose I was really looking for myself, you know, Mm. In, in in a weird way, as I suppose many of us are doing when we're we're teenagers. Mm. Um, it's funny because again, I think <clears throat> there's probably still the kind of double edged side to that. In that, I was still always very disciplined around my schoolwork, around wanting to succeed and and achieve. Um, and that was something that was very deeply ingrained with me. So I, I, I did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? I wanted to be a lawyer from quite a young age. Um, mm. Once I, 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 I did want to be a bus conductor um, in the days when Good. bus conductors um, kind of gave you your tickets uh, and things. Yeah, but uh, absolutely, that little machine. <laughs> but pumped. Luckily, I gave I, I gave up on that dream given, given that they were they, they were put out of business by um, technology. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so yes, I mean, I remember in the 80s watching LA Law and being very much taken with the idea mm. of becoming a lawyer. And I think also I've always been very much driven by a sense of justice, of what's right, mm. what's wrong. Um, and it's funny because I think, you know, that was what pulled me towards the law. And then... Mm you know, I found myself for various reasons, you know, working in London, working in the city, which was a conscious choice. I mean, I I wanted to work in a more international environment where I could use my languages, having studied abroad and having escaped Scotland 
Um, mm. And I say that as if it was a place that I wanted to escape. I mean, I love Scotland and I, I love all my family and friends there. But again, it's quite small. It's quite parochial. And, and I felt that I had a freedom um, on leaving Scotland um, that I really relished. Um, mm. And it's been interesting seeing, I suppose, how my career has developed because you know, 11 years ago, I had kind of jacked in the law effectively. I mean, I decided that I didn't really want to do it anymore. And I took a year out and went over to Central America and, yeah. you know, did a lot of meditation and, and things like that. Before I joined Hausfeld and my present firm as, as a partner. And it's been interesting seeing how I suppose when I was true to myself and, you know, how I felt about my life and what I wanted to be spending my time doing and who I wanted to be spending my time with in terms of you know colleagues and 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 so on mm. um it's it, it was really interesting that this opportunity came up to join a firm that was effectively a startup still at that point doing something that was very different doing something that was mm. entrepreneurial and creative um where there there is a real kind of ethos of writing a wrong behind a lot of the work we do um yeah. and that was something yeah. that was really important to me so I've kind of found that you know although I'm still working in the city as a lawyer I I am professionally living my my truth and my mm. um, values mm. much more than yeah. I might have been doing had yeah. I had I been elsewhere yeah I can really hear that so LA Law was one influence. Mm. What were your other, in terms of communication, presentation, impact, presence, authenticity, all these words we're talking about, what are your other influences? I, I think it's been difficult for me professionally because often I look at people who I admire in terms of how they can stand up and kind of mm. talk to an audience. And, you know, if I think about, um, I think about the managing partner of our firm in London, Anthony, who I, I know you've met before, mm. you know, he's, he's very good at, you know, kind of recounting historical events or poems or things like that. But it's just, that's his style and he does it so well mm. and so effectively. But there would be no point at all in me trying to emulate that because mm. that's not, mm. it's not my style. And I think mm. I have struggled in terms of, finding role models within my profession yeah. with whom I can who who I've been able to look at them and say oh right okay that it's okay to, to yeah. it's okay to be like me it's okay to communicate in the way that I feel most comfortable communicating so in yeah. so in many ways I found the you know the work that we've done together over the years has been mm. very valuable to me in getting me to that point and mm. um, mm. I think also some of that it does just come with it comes with age and experience yeah. and I think you get to a certain point where you just stop caring as much what other people think um yeah well that's a great role model that you're being then and uh, and so good for that and but, but I mean I hear you and that's a that's tough not to have somebody in your profession that you're looking at going I can I, I, I that's where I want to step into I want to be like that yeah, I mean, I see lots of people who I see doing fantastic jobs and communicating mm. really well, 
but it's in their it's in their way and yeah. and stylistically that is very different to to my mm. way and and I do feel mm. I've had to carve my mm. own path a bit mm. yeah. on that yeah. and I'm still and I'm still getting there I mean I I still you, you know I was nervous before doing mm. um this with you yeah. today I I just talk talk to me about nerves so quite literally how how do nerves affect you what's the kind of physical manifestation what what happens to you with nerves and how do you how do you deal with it um so I get a bit jittery sometimes not mm. not like obviously shaking but I, I feel jittery and the thing that terrifies me the most about nerves and I think this is why I I've often tended towards that kind of trying to script things too much for myself is that my mind goes completely blank Mm. Um, which is which yeah. is not helpful. It's a stress response, yeah, isn't exactly, it? Go blank. Exactly. So, so when I think about, um, there was oh goodness, it must have been I don't know maybe nine, eight or nine years ago now, where I I don't know if you remember all the stuff in in the news about um LIBOR rigging, you know the benchmark yeah. rate rigging and so on, and London Interbank, what was it? The O rate offer rate. Um, offer rate yeah yeah so I had colleagues in the states had been working on on a case and I kind of I knew it it must be coming it must be coming so I had kind of teed up a few um emails to journalists that I hadn't sent yet just to say look there's this thing I think it's going to be quite a big story it's quite interesting I can speak to you if you want and then it broke so I just mm. tinkered with the emails fired them all off and I spent the best part of a week on the phone to journalists just explaining to them what it was what it was about and as part of that, I had to I had to be live on Radio Four, and then I was also wow. on live on BBC News, um, and I was absolutely ter- terrified. The radio wasn't so bad because it felt more um, intimate, being in the kind of small, uh, quite really quite a small studio. Apart from the fact that it was being recorded out of the stock exchange, and I went to the old one, <laughs> I went to the old one rather than the new one. But anyway, right. that's so wrong building, <laughs> I went, I went, that, I went yeah. to the wrong one. But then the the TV one was absolutely terrifying, and I couldn't have told you afterwards what I said, mm. and that mm. is my stress response, mm. which shut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the interview? No, I I hate watching things back. I just can't watch I, it. I can't I, I can't do it. I remember there was there was another time when um we oh goodness again this must have been maybe seven years ago now eight years ago um and as I say when I when I had joined my firm we were effectively still in startup mode. There were very few of us in the office. We were doing something new. Um, it was a bit controversial at the time in the industry there were quite a few naysayers um and and so on and it took us quite a while i think to be kind of accepted um by the by the establishment in terms of what what we were doing and and, and how we were doing it and to gain that that respect and we had we had been nominated for the ft innovative lawyers award for I think it must have been innovative law firm or something and mm-hmm. we we took a table at the award ceremony and we we went along with with a group of people 
and Anthony, our managing partner, he couldn't come for some reason, and and we won. Oh um, no! And, and, and we we won. And, so a high, and, and then a, I, oh, I've got to go. Oh. And, and and so I had to go up, and and everybody was doing these acceptance speeches, and we hadn't expected to win. I hadn't really registered that if somebody was going to have to go up, it was going to be me, and and I went up, and it was in the Natural History Museum. Um, and so, and it was all dark, but I knew there were like all these tables and these spotlights were shining on me. And I had to give this off the cuff. I um, bet you did it well. Speech. I bet it played into your hands, well, didn't it? Again, I don't know. I mean, I I remembered a little bit about what I said, but I remember being absolutely livid the next day because one of the associates who was at the table videoed it and sent it round the rest of the office. Um, mm. without checking with me and I didn't I still didn't watch it but I was so I was so cross mm. um because I don't really like being captured on film and I don't mm. really like having to listen to myself back mm. I'll mm. probably never listen to this, <laughs> to mm. this podcast no. so it's not I was going to say yeah because we talked uh, um in fact we're going to come on to talk about zoom versus speaking mm. but but so it's not it's not a specific thing to to cameras it's just hearing oneself back in any sense I think so I think seeing oneself back is is worse I would rather listen to myself back I think than watch myself back yeah. um yeah. I think I I can't imagine that I'm alone um in being kind of deeply critical of myself when I I watch things on replay so I would just rather yeah. rather not bother because yeah, what- we'll, 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 we'll come back to all of this because it's fascinating, the whole what's happened as a result of being on video so much. Let's let's come back to it because I, I want to spend a bit more time just on this nerve nerves. What do you now deal? So, so it feels like you've kind of got yourself much more able to deal with stuff now. And, and I'm just curious what your what your mechanisms are that help you. What? What 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 would you now do if suddenly when you've got to go up and accept the next acceptance speech um, at the FD in the Natural History Museum? I mean, I I think as a kind of overriding remark on that, I think things do just get easier the more times you do them, and then you realise that actually you're you're much more aware of mm-hmm. things than everybody else is aware of what you're doing. You know, everybody else is focused on themselves most of the time, so it doesn't really matter. If things go, you know, things go a bit wrong, mm-hmm. and I do think, you know, being able to look at it and laugh and say, "Well, that didn't quite go to plan," and it is it, is fine. I mean, I do. Ten years ago, eleven years ago now, I I got into to meditation. I don't. I do actually. I've developed again over lockdown a meditation practice, but it's been patchy, mm. particularly. You know, I have a five-year-old and a six-year-old, so it's not particularly mm. conducive. Not necessarily conducive. No, no. Not, not unless you, not unless you get up very early. Leave me alone because I'm <laughs> meditating. Yeah. Although actually, they they do they do sometimes meditate with me. But what I tend to do before I have to um, do something is I just I, I ground myself. I center myself. I have it I probably don't meditate but I just I focus on what I'm feeling um mm. but when I say what I'm feeling what I'm feeling in terms of physical sensations and in in my body so I'll be like okay well right. I you know I feel yes I feel nervous but what does that mean that like, you know have I got 
a kind of scratchy feeling at my cheeks or you know do, yeah. do I have butterflies in my tummy and if you just focus on those physical sensations then you notice them passing and mm. I think just you know a few and how does that help then so so being present being aware of the physical sensations in your body how does that help you when that comes to then whatever it is you're communicating um I think it helps to ground me and therefore I have less of the fight flight um fight or flight response with the kind of going blank so it enables me to stay more present through what I'm doing rather than kind of disappearing (laughs) into some mental black hole where I don't really know what's going on um you know stuff coming out of my mouth and then it it helps me with just staying present generally and I think it helps Mm -hmm. me just to just to recognize that really it's just it's a it's a moment it's just you know whatever I'm about to do is just a moment in time and it will pass and it will be what it will be and that's that's fine you know that's Mm. that's fine yeah I caught myself having to do that I I was on a zoom call which I suddenly realized wasn't what I thought it was (laughs) and where I thought it was a friendly chat it was a kind of grilling by some internal kind of basically seeing me as a rival and sort of checking me out <laughs> and uh and I could feel it I mean it was just it was it was weird I mean it was literally kind of like this kind of heat curling up inside my legs rising up this sort of like oh my god this is not what I thought yeah um that was the last time I just remember really thinking bloody hell just breathe 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 yeah but it's quite interesting because I remember once and I won't go into all the detail because it's quite it's quite a long story but I <laughs> I had just come back from a a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat that I had done over New Year. Um, Vipassana is the total silence one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it's it's quite full on, but it's it's very worthwhile. And I have benefited greatly when I've done those 10-day courses. But I came back and to cut a long story short was basically given a hospital pass to go that day without having prepared properly Hmm. to what turned out to be a settlement meeting with a very aggressive um (sighs) counterpart on the other side who was so rude when i turned up so rude that it was me who was there and not my Hmm. managing partner was who behaved a behaved really really badly in the meeting but because I had been meditating for the 10 days previously I could feel the heat rising in my face I could Mm. feel all these prickles on my skin but you see I'd been practicing for 10 days not reacting to any of it so I was so calm and it's funny because I know um, and I I now work with a, a number of people who were in that meeting um on the other side of the table and they still say, you know, you you were so calm in that meeting in such terrible circumstances. And there was, I mean, it really was like, it, it really was a disastrous meeting, not just because of how it was being conducted, but it, it was disastrous from our perspective as well. Um, it was so... But what came out of it was, it yeah. sounds to me exactly what you're describing, that thing of, of just physical... Um, checking in what you were talking about earlier being grounded yes and and that was you know having just come 
out of the course and being acutely aware and feeling every single sensation that was going on in my body, but then just not reacting to it. Because that's what you're learning on these retreats is, is to observe the sensations in your body and to, and to observe them um, and, and, and not do anything about them. So it was really, really interesting to me seeing how you could, uh, how I could take something like that, that I, I was doing really, I suppose, more from a personal perspective into my work in such an effective way, because, because I look back on that meeting now and I, like, I, I do think it's quite a funny story and it, it didn't leave me bruised. I mean, I think had I not had that experience with the meditation, I would probably still feel very, very bruised by that encounter. But I don't because I just look back at it and I'm like, oh God, that was that was pretty dreadful. But isn't that how isn't it so interesting how I managed to kind of just keep it on the level? I wish I was as as zen as that all the time. I'm I'm, I'm not, but you know, it's it's good to know that it's it's in there somewhere if you need to pull it out the bag. The image I get when you describe it, I just see you as powerful. There's something about not reacting and mm. not getting swept up in that um yeah kind of kind of vitriol that you were getting that's just so much more powerful yes i think that's right and it does and and, and it does have the effect i think of unsettling the person that's mm. trying to unsettle you mm. to to not get the rise so mm. interesting it was interesting Okay, let's go back to this thing about remote working now. That you know that the, the the story you described there also feels so relevant for times when we were in rooms, you know, yeah. and in rooms there's there's an atmosphere that is um, tangible. You know, it's in the air; you can see it. And and when we're remote, it's we've got different air; we're in different places. Yeah. Um, one thing I was just curious that you you when we talked yesterday you you kind of talked about liking talking and being sometimes running meetings that were important by walking through a park mm. and walking talk to me a bit about how so how are you yeah how have you managed it how is it working at its best remote working what what are the struggles with it um I think I personally have kind of had it with being sat in front of a computer all the time because in my normal pre-pandemic life that the three days that I was going into work I was pretty much in meetings all the time I was going and, and spending time with people whereas I've gone from that to being pretty much five days a week in front of the screen and um, sometimes the call scheduled you know just back to back so you've got no time at all you know someone's dialing into the next one before mm. the last one's even finished and so that's why over the last few months in particular, I've tried to group one-to-one -one calls that I have together and then I go out for a long walk. Um, Brilliant. I do that um, when I ha have to do calls in Spanish because, you know, my Spanish isn't, is not totally fluent. I mean, it's, it's good and I, I can do, I can do business in Spanish, etc. but it's not, I'm not bilingual. And I find mm. having the motion of walking and being outside just helps with my fluency I, I don't know I, I don't know mm. what it is but but that that really helps I also find 
that having those conversations on the telephone are often just much better conversations when you're speaking to people mm. one-to-one. Mm. Um, yeah. People are less self-conscious. They're not sat looking at themselves as well as looking at you. Yeah, um, exactly. And so I do very much hope that, you know, the art of phone calls is not lost yeah. amidst everybody just kind of automatically putting things in for teams um, yeah. to, to begin with. Because I, th- I think it certainly it has a purpose and it has definitely enabled us to feel more connected and to see colleagues and what have you. But I, I do think it needs to be it needs to be a mix. It mm. needs to be a bit. So this- yeah, yeah. There's so much of what you say resonates. First of all, I think probably the physical action. You know, maybe we should just do all podcasts now as walking. Wouldn't be that hard with the technology. So there's something about just physically moving our bodies, mm. I'm sure, that is a, a affecting, obviously, how we are communicating. Mm. I think the next challenge we're going to have is to get used to what I would call the hybrid working and you know, we're going to be in a situation where some people will be in the office, other people will mm. be working at home. So you're going to have people dialing in from meeting rooms, other people dialing in from home. And actually having been on both ends of that over the last six months or so, it's really unsatisfactory um, for a number of reasons. Because if you're at mm. home, you can't see everybody properly. You can't see see their faces. I mean, you lose, it's even one more step removed from you know, not being able to pick up on the energy. You can't even hardly see the facial expressions really of the people point. in yeah. the meeting room. And then, you know, that's aside from the annoyance of the fact that they're all like chatting to each other and getting coffees. And so mm. they dial in 10 minutes late and not on the hour. And, you, mm. you know, so I think we're going to have to really think around how long do we schedule meetings for? What time will they start? Mm. How do we make sure that there's, you know, because either you have, you know, you have an in-person meeting and then you lose the impact of that because everybody's looking at the, people who are dialed in on the screen so they're not mm-hmm. interacting with each other in the room it feels like a wasted opportunity yeah. or the people on the screen feel ignored exactly. and not able to kind of get a word in because nobody's mm. looking to them for the cues mm. so I think that will be a real challenge yeah um, it will it will you've articulated well and I, I wonder I mean some of it some of it is that we have to educate ourselves and also maybe that some of it is technology that we need to be adapted for the reasons you've described, that you don't just have either one huge shot of everyone um, yes. or not be able to see people. And, and, I'm su- and I'm sure, you know, you can get these things where, you know, there are multiple cameras in a room and they kind of zone in on whoever's speaking at the time and, and what have you. But, yeah. I mean, I, I personally can't wait to be going back and having you know at least yeah. some some meetings in in person it's it's so hard I think I I think yeah. I told you a few months ago about this very um peculiar meeting that I had and it was it, it was made worse by the fact that it was on Webex and I, I had never used Webex before and for some reason I went into it and I didn't maximize it on my screen so I had a really small view of everyone else but I was speaking the call was in Spanish with um, people in Spain who I hadn't met before alongside some of the people who I know very well and, and work with and everybody in Spain because they were in rooms together they were all wearing masks and so I realized uh, quite apart so they were wearing masks and really tiny on my screen as well and um, I realized how much I um, how much more I struggled not being able to see their mouths moving not being able to see their yeah. facial expressions not being able to be in person whilst whilst speaking it's, Spanish myself because I tend to gesticulate quite a lot when I'm speaking Spanish and I find it um 
yeah, I find that really, It's really like the perfect storm, Leanne. Yeah. It's the most amazing <laughs> concoction. WebEx, minimize window, different language, face masks. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a bit surreal. Um, and then, yeah, it was only like five minutes before the end of the call. I was like, well, actually, I can make this yeah. marginally better by maximizing the, yeah. the screen. Yeah. Lovely. Okay, my... I think coming back to where we began, really, um, my final question is that if you could develop any presentation communication skill to an Olympic standard, like the, to 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 have this as a skill of a demigod, what would it be? What would you What would you want to? Yeah, what would you want to develop more? Um. I mean, I would probably pick the skill that I still feel I struggle with the most, which is presenting to bigger audiences. I mean, I, I feel I don't struggle so much with communication on a on a more intimate level. And so for me, it, it, it would be about being able to stand in front of, you know, a, a decent size audience and perhaps still feel a bit nervous because I think even the best mm. speakers do feel a bit nervous, but to be able to, to feel comfortable enough about speaking as me and being authentic and to mm. not have these kind of like blanks sometimes where I'm kind of like, mm. you know, and, and, and to, and to feel, um, to feel comfortable about moving from a script and, and to just, to, to, be comfortable enough just to get up and do mm. it. I would love to be able to do that. Mm. Mm. Maybe, maybe one day, yeah. maybe not Olympic standard. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'll no, get I, there eventually. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing you, and all I kept thinking, obviously, as you were describing that, is the black egg. <laughs> the black egg, yes. Of in a way that's amazing. That was drawn for you this morning. That just being truthful. I mean, that's what you're describing to take that quality. Yes. I'm curious about what uh, what the next cards will come, <laughs> but I think that was a, a brilliant one to draw today. So thank you so much. Thank Leanne. you, Noah.